Welcome to the ACFCS Financial Crimecast, a briefing featuring the latest news, analysis, and guidance from across the financial crime spectrum. I'm Brian Spodekindle, SVP of Product and Programming with ACFCS, and on this episode, we're exploring the accelerating adoption of mobile banking and the surge of fraud threats that have accompanied it. It made me realize that it's been years since I've done any banking in person, and that might be true of you as well, especially if you're in a younger age cohort. Based on studies by Nice Actimize, Gen Z favors the mobile channel at 56%, but older generations are actually not far behind them, showing the broad appeal and growing increase in mobile banking, but this rise is not without its risks. As customers have flocked to mobile, fraudsters have followed, and many institutions have struggled to keep their fraud controls in line with customer demand and with emerging threats. So to explore this tricky balancing act, I'm joined by Brian Keefe, consultant with Nice Actimize, drawing on his experience working with financial institutions, both large and small. Brian provides insights on the fraud threats and trends he's seeing, strategies for winning the war against mobile banking fraud, and why financial institutions should assume that any customer's device that accesses their systems is already compromised. Well, Brian, thank you so much for being here on the Financial Crimecast. Uh, always a pleasure to converse with a fellow Brian. You know, you know they're trustworthy. Uh, so it's a great to have this conversation with you. And uh, really looking forward to diving into this topic on uh, mobile banking and the, uh, the intriguingly titled Double-Edged Sword. So thank you for being here. It's a pleasure, Brian, and thank you for having us. We're welcome to talk about some of these crucial topics, hopefully that save the uh, the people in this world some money and the finance institutions the headache and heartache of uh, financial loss. So we're we're glad to be here and, and spread any knowledge or wealth we can. Excellent. Yeah, and obviously, increasingly important topic. Um, younger generations are adopting the mobile channel at a very substantial rate. Um, we were pushed in this direction by the COVID-19 pandemic, which, you know, depending on where you are, it's still uh, continuing in some in some uh, uh, level. Uh, so, you know, given all that we've seen in the last two and a half years, um, and given what you're seeing currently, what are some of the notable trends that you would like to highlight in mobile banking? Yeah, that's a great question. Thank you, Brian. So as we see the in the mobile banking sector, we've seen a significant increase in the demand for mobile banking utilities as people transition from their online banking, the traditional habits they had with standalones, um, computers at home, to the new habits where they now have the new anywhere, anytime mobile habits that we need to try to accommodate with laptops the tablets and smartphones. Um, and as you mentioned earlier, the pre-pandemic, it escalated this model banking adoption rate uh, was primarily fueled by the smartphone penetration with having over 4 billion people using smartphones or tablets today. And again, as you said in your introduction, the COVID pandemic workplace disruption certainly pushed these drivers for the FIs to bring out more mobile banking apps, fast tracking the mobile banking apps without maybe having those safeguards in place. You said the Gen X, the Gen Zs have the biggest mobile banking rate, which is 56%. 
and myself, the millennial, we follow closely behind at 55. And the Gen Xs are 51%. So I, I'd like to digress just for a second within this particular topic of the trends. We look at the Gen Xs who are used to standalone computers. Uh, I don't even know what they're called now. The uh, typewriters to laptops. The millennials we see had come in. They had some standalones, but they were transitioning to laptops and early mobile apps. And then we get into the Gen Zs. All they know of are these portable smartphones, the tablets. They have very far and few standalone computers anymore. They may have some laptops, but demand, the demand here has increased, has heated up the consumer's natural expectation for additional features to be able to do that working the mobile online banking from a mobile app. So that has pushed the FIs to expand their services, again, like I said, with in inadequate measures. Yeah, it's very challenging. I mean, and, and those are interesting numbers that you, the statistics you quoted, because Gen Z favoring the mobile channel at 56%, but millennials, Gen X, you know, we're in the 50s too, not not far behind it. So uh, big population, big pool of customers here who are coming to you through that mobile channel. Um, and so approaching that from a, of, a risk perspective, a fraud financial crime risk perspective, um, you know, I know one of the ways in which financial institutions will attempt to, you know, detect this, prevent this is, uh, you know, look for indicators that a device is compromised, right? They could be behavioral, they could be in the device fingerprint, so on and so forth. But, you know, there's a potential as, uh, cybercrime and uh, uh, cyber attacks increase that really every single device that might be accessing your institution could be compromised. Um, can you kind of flesh that concept out a little bit and what that means for fraud attempts in the mobile channel? Absolutely. So as we talk about, and I, and I phrase it, the compromised device, we look at now people have adopted this mobile strategy so quick and and without the correct education. So the Gen Zs, I think, are the most apt to this. The millennials and the Gen X is a little less where you're now going out and about into the world to a Starbucks, to a McDonald's, or to any other place that may have a Wi-Fi hotspot. It may even be your carrier's hotspot, say a Comcast or one of those. And I know my device is, is assigned to it where it automatically detects it and connects to it. So you always want that strong connection. Hey, I want to upload videos. I want to download videos. I want to watch YouTube. I want to do mobile banking or other sort of activities on your device. And that's where the, the, this compromised device first gets its legs into your device. It, you have people out there, the fraudsters, that are spoofing IP addresses or acting as hotspots where they then have loggers in the background that see what you do, your activities. And some of these fraudsters are very sophisticated seeing everything that you do, not just particular applications, but it could be your banking, your, your username, your password, again, on your social media platforms, your Twitter account, your Facebook account, and, and other things. And the worst case scenario would be you start using these pay online apps. So you use a Zelle or the other ones that are out there. I want to pay my friend because we just left Starbucks and he treated me to a coffee. They have the ability now to suck in that information and utilize that. And that's one piece of it. So that's one of the areas that these fraudsters look at. They also look at the ability to take over your device. 
they have applications out there that they use once they get into your device. They're now looking at other information, stuff you might have stored in your device on your notes section or, or elsewhere. Those that aren't security savvy, that don't store things on the cloud, which is highly recommended, I think, in the fraud world, is they have access to all the information now, whether it be your social security numbers, anything you may have thought was safe stored online, even with that pin code you may have or the facial recognition piece of thing, the biometrics security on your device. Once you open it up and start utilizing in that particular nefarious hotspot, you, you're as much as done. So that's the compromise that comes in with these devices. Yeah, it's an interesting it's an interesting point because there are any number of uh, security measures that have been used for the past several years, right? Two factor authentication. You mentioned biometrics, um, but this is an arms race, and we are <laughs> we are in an arms race against uh, uh, very motivated and very sophisticated fraudsters who are finding ways increasingly to. Uh, you know, negate these uh, these these barriers that have been put up. So, um, you know, it's not it. It can look like a trusted device accessing your you know your banking uh, your banking network, right? It can look like a customer who is simply doing their usual behaviors. There's not necessarily aberrant activity that's gonna that's gonna tip you off. Um, I want to I want to delve into that a little bit further and, and talk more about those consumer behaviors and those fraud threats that are resulting in increased risk in the mobile channel. So, you know, we talked a little bit about Wi-Fi hotspots. We talked a little bit about rapid adoption being a key risk area, um, you know, before it was necessarily known how to secure it on the financial institution side. Um, customers not necessarily aware of the risks, you know. So I'll ask kind of a, a two-part question. Um, one is, you know, what other fraud threats and consumer behaviors are resulting in increased risk? Um, and then follow question kind of on the back of that is, you know, do you see customer education, you know, informing customers, making them aware as a means to address some of these risks? I've heard, honestly, kind of mixed reviews for that. So any thoughts on that piece of, you know, hey, drive, drive training to customers and, you know, that can help help off from a risk perspective. Yeah, I think, it, and we talked about the, the rapid adoption. You look at the banking institutions, retail banks, they're adopting it at 67%. People are using their mobile apps and that's in 2021. They're, they're categorizing this as being 41% now are digital only. You can imagine that where people aren't even, aren't even going into the, the brick and mortar places. They're so ingrained in their world. And I know with me, I'm guilty of it myself. And those that use these apps, you use banking apps, you use other apps that are that are compromised or the device is compromised. You want it done here and now. Sometimes you don't think of those, hey, I gotta be more mindful of where I am, shut my Wi-Fi off, just stay on cellular. That That's a huge factor for, I think, in, in the education of the consumer itself. Um, but I think on the other fraud side, you look at, you bring your own devices with this pandemic, we have a lot of people that I know institutions pass out laptops and, and cell phones for you to utilize doing work type of things. But you may take that work laptop 
into those same locations, into the Starbucks, into the McDonald's and do a little work. Or you may work remotely. Hey, I'm going to do a little work when I'm taking a three-day vacation or taking a long weekend. You, you need to know where you're connecting to and who to trust and who not to trust. So it's called the BYOD, the bring your own device. So that's a huge phenomenon now that's coming out with this, with post-pandemic, with people being so fluid in their movements of work and pleasure. Because, you know, when with these with these hotspots, they know where you've been. They know who you know. They know where you shop. They know where you bank. And like I said, the social networks that you that you utilize on those devices. Yeah, no, great points there on the, the bring your own device front. I think it's a uh, it's a major risk area and a major risk area that, you know, the hybrid work, uh, hybrid work environment in particular. Um, and, you know, great point as well as on the, the data trails that we are leaving on these mobile devices um, and the kind of lag in risk knowledge on mobile versus on, you know, laptops, desktops, that type of thing. I think everybody is well aware of uh, compromised websites and, you know, safe searching and uh, yeah, there's a browser lot of, attacks, that type of thing. Yeah, with a lot of the hot sauce that you you attach to from home, there's a lot of safeguards involved with, like, say you're a Comcast, I have a lot of alerts set up with, it's going to show me who just joined my Wi-Fi or things such as that. So I know pretty much at home what I should see. But when you're traveling around, whether you be in a car or again at some facility or location, you can even do it at a ballpark. I love baseball. I love sporting events. Another place where the institutions, the commercial, the communication industry sees this massive option and just opens up the doors to fraud. So there's a buddy sitting next to you with all it takes is a, a simple laptop or even a cell phone to perform these nefarious acts to capture the information they need. It doesn't have to be done. They don't have to utilize it now. They can go sell it to, to another ring that can utilize the information they pulled from your phone and su things such as that. So it's not just the people, the fraudsters that are capturing it. The fraud ring widens out where you get into credit card fraud, identity fraud, things such as that. So those are huge trends that we're seeing now take place just with everybody's, I want to do it here and now and quick. I want to get it done today, not tomorrow, not in a week. So that's, I think that's a huge piece of it as well as is the broad scheme of these frauds. It's not just the here and now. Right. No, great points. And, you know, the, the, the one, you're totally right. That one aspect of fraud is not separate from the rest of the, the wider fraud landscape, right? Um, the data can be resold. It can be, you know, repurposed on the dark web, um, so on and so forth. So great point on kind of the bigger picture there. Um, We've talked quite a bit about, you know, some of the risks and really the big theme of rapid adoption of mobile without necessarily the safeguards or risk awareness to accompany it. You know, the speed equals fraud and convenience, you know, sometimes equals fraud too. Um, uh, equation. But well, we haven't really talked about the cost here. I know this is difficult to, to quantify, but, you know, a lot of people want to know, well, how do I put a dot? How do I attach a dollar to this? Uh, so, what would you consider the cost of mobile fraud for financial institutions to be? That, that's a great question. It's a painful one, I think, for these FIs to 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 digest. We look at mobile banking today. It's not just the financial; it's a reputational side too. It's the apprehension of the user to utilize these newly developed mobile apps 
that we know cost a fortune. And if they're trying to push them out the door, it, it's going to cost a pretty penny. 80% of the people that, uh, that want to utilize mobile banking are very apprehensive for that possible threat of fraud. The anxiety is not just with the data privacy, but it's a, it involves the casual banker um, that doesn't want to fully embrace the mobile apps. Like with the mobile apps that you see that could be compromised with it, we've expanded it from the check balancing uh, to the maintaining account all the way to the when you deposit a check remotely or you transfer funds. So I think it, it's a twofold. One is with the consumer's apprehension to utilize these new developed apps, which then, hey, you know what? We lost money on that part or maybe we lost customers because the, the notion or the news, the negative news out there is not pleasurable to, to this particular financial institution. Um, but I think the financial side, We've looked at it and the cost of fraud has risen since the pre-pandemic. It was about a dollar for every dollar lost within fraud. It cost the institution $4. That's today's cost. Before it was in 2019 and 2020, it was 325 and say 365 respectively. That's a significant increase for the money that runs through these institutions day in and day out with now offering the instant access mobile apps to, to do this type of activity. So it's, it's, it's gonna, and it'll just increase more and more as the fraudsters get more sophisticated and try to find the ways around of it. So it's always the, the overall hesitancy of expanding the mobile services with the confidence that the fraud thefts will be minimized. Yeah, no, great point there. Interesting that kind of four to one statistic is, uh... Is, uh, it's pretty astonishing. Uh, so we talked quite a bit about the risk. We talked about you know some potential costs. Let's talk about uh, how we get this right. Um, so you know we obviously have a we obviously have a problem here with mobile banking fraud. Um, what are some strategies for 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 solving this for winning the war against? mobile banking fraud? What are you seeing, you know, successful institutions that have done this right um, do in their mobile channel? That's a, another great question. So you look at the reasons for the fraud and, and a lot of it's going to be based around behavioral activity of the mobile user. There are those sophisticated fraudsters that would go into an institution and, and be able to penetrate it from their own channels. But when you look at the mobile device, I think number one is educating the user. You can't rely solely on that. You need to have an understanding of how the user uses the, these mobile devices, whether it be a mobile device, it's got to expand to their online banking activity as well, because they're not always going to be on their phone. They may be at home on their standalone or laptop late at night doing their banking or, or activity, you want to be able to see both of those behaviors and understand and get a pattern of that human behavior with the use of artificial intelligence and machine learning, behavioral analytics. So I think that's where it needs to, the, the two-prong approach is the educating the user and the other is utilizing the technology and the solutions that are out there today to get a better understanding of the person's behavior. So you can more easily pick up those fraud-related activities on the on the individual's account before it gets out your door. Stop it at, at that activity level. 
Yeah, no, some excellent points here. I mean, I think to kind of summarize a lot of what we talked about in this conversation, you know, mobile banking is clearly, uh, yeah, I don't want to say the future of, uh, of financial services, but a very viable uh, and, and in-demand product, especially for younger generations. We're going to need to get a handle on fraud in this space, and we have not at all yet. Uh, the risks are widespread, varied, and prevalent, as well as sophisticated. Uh, and you know, really, for uh, for you know, getting it right for addressing these fraud risks, we're going to use we're going to have to use all of the the data and the resources that we have. I think you know, one of the yeah. big themes of the pandemic has been that, you know, traditional KYC, traditional customer diligence doesn't cut it anymore. I don't know if you'd agree with that. Yeah, absolutely. And I'd love to expand on the on the, the technology side of it. As I mentioned, the human behavior, the client behavior, as you call it, we talk about the online versus the mobile. You need to talk about the log information, the events that these individuals do from both of those online and mobile platforms, as well as the activity from online and mobile. And last but not least, the different types of transaction they do in those those two different arenas, the mobile and online. So that would give the institution a, a, a great picture of what these individuals usually do and pick out those anomalies. Yeah. I would say complete protection. I hate to use a word complete or 100%, but it is certainly the technologies we've seen, the, the numbers are astounding of how much it catches 70% of the fraud it catches within the institutions themselves. That's actually very impressive um, figure. And, you know, I think in some ways, while we talk quite a bit about the risk in mobile channels, you know, there's a, there's, as you, as you noted in, in, uh, in your comments, there's really rich data you can, you can gather on customers, you know, their transactional activity, their behavioral activity, their, device history, their device data, you know, all these identifiers that um, really allow you in some ways to, you know, know more than you might from a traditional banking or non-mobile channel, right? So there's an opportunity to do better at fraud detection here if we can, if we can do it well. Yes, yeah, certainly with the solutions that are out there on the devices, whether it be online or mobile, it looks at the most finite of details to say what browser did you use, what version of the browser, what IP address are you at? So the technology is so sophisticated and smart that it's going to see those differences. Like why would you, Brian's logging you at the Windows 11, but he logged in three days later from a version that's five times its junior. That doesn't make sense in Brian's world. He's never utilized that certain browser version before from the IP address that may be across the country or across the world. So it's those sort of nuances that this, these particular solutions would pick up and notify the investigators that, hey, something doesn't look right. And it gives them the ability to, to stop, to, to say, I'd like to stop the transaction in its tracks or maybe let it go through and we'll research it. There's many different avenues and, and facts that you could the settings you can do within these systems to make it friendly to the institution based on their size or the the size of investigative groups things such as that so you're not so much prohibiting the user from getting the benefit of that service but you still want to safeguard them at the at the same regards so yes it is very the technology is is 
astounding at, at how smart it is once it learns who these people are. And it, it's across all channels, it's omni-channel. So it's not just your, your checking, your wire transfers. It looks at every piece of product that you utilize for that institution and builds a history and builds a, a, a behavior for them. So it, some of these solutions look at as a person they don't look at the different channels that they use so you need a solution that's going to be more robust and go down to those fine details of that person behavior regardless of the channel that they use yeah no that, that's a great point it, you know you need something that is as you mentioned gives you that complete picture um cross-channel activity is uh is really important in and of itself and just having that you know of uh, data silos and that that holistic view, although I don't love that word. <laughs> I feel like a little bit overused word, but it is it is valid in this circumstance. I, I, I'm going to correct one of the statistics I gave you. It, this, so the 70%, it lowers the, the investigative time by 70%. This is going to be even more striking. It detects these solutions are smart enough to detect fraud up to 90% accuracy. So that's... Mm. Uh, it's almost 100%. It's close to being perfect. But that compared to back in the day with you printing things out and, and spreadsheets and putting line diagrams on the wall to see who matches who and what isn't right, the solutions are doing that for you today with the machine learning. It's it's doing it as, as the investigators sleep. It's They still need that human interaction, but it's doing all those number crunching and the analytics for you. Yeah. Well, I always like to, uh, I always like to end on an optimistic note and, uh, <laughs> Brian, fortunately you have, uh, you have supplied that here. That is absolutely a reason to be optimistic. Um, you know, fantastic opportunities here on the tech side, on the innovation side. Um, Brian, this has been a, a fascinating conversation. I really appreciate the, uh, the time and the dialogue. Uh, and thanks for, uh, thanks for joining us on the program. Thank you again, Brian. Have a great day for yourself. And for all of our listeners out there, thank you for tuning in. The ACFCS Financial Crimecast is available on Apple Podcasts, uh, Spotify, and many other places where you get your favorite podcasts. So tune into all of our episodes. Join us again uh, on a future episode of the Financial Crimecast. And thank you all for listening. Bye for now, everyone.